We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're re-watching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of A Small Circle of Friends on March 12th, 1980. It was written by Ezra Sachs, directed by Rob Cohen, and released by United Artists. The title is a reference to a Phil Oaks song. He was a protest singer who killed himself four years before this movie came out. Uh, the premise would more accurately suggest the title A Small Triangle of Friends, as it deals primarily with three characters. When the original director, John Cordy, stepped away, United Artist was reluctant to allow Rob Cohen to pick up the reins and demanded that he find a backup in the event he was fired from the film. But backup director Arthur Hiller was never called to action. They finished the film with the first director and apparently were happy with what they got. Um, the score for the film was composed by Jim Steinman, and I hope you like it, because you hear it constantly. And it was probably less distracting at the time, <laughs> uh, but because Diamond later basically reused the theme of this film as the chorus for Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart, I couldn't stop singing it over the oh entire God. movie. Like, there was a whole part of, there was later, and I was like, is that Total Eclipse of Turn Around? Yeah, and yes. I kept singing it, and I was like, why are they playing this song in the 60s? Right. And Jess is like, well... It's not trying to be that song, and I was like, "It sounds like it, it but I don't. Just I like think it's it. just the score." And then she looked it up, and she's like, "Same composer, same guy wrote both." So yeah. he just wrote it for this, and then later reused it. reused it as a hit song. But he's apparently the composer for Meatloaf, right? Yeah, yeah. which he, I, which I'm like, I didn't, I didn't realize that the same composer wrote Total Eclipse of the Heart as well as like I would do anything for yeah, love. Yeah, but I'm like, yeah, because those songs always reminded me of each other, and I never realized why. Yeah, just their <laughs> massive mid '80s power ballads too. Um, but yeah, I couldn't stop singing it the whole second half of the movie. Um, the production was kicked off the Harvard campus during during the filming, uh, and so a riot scene had to be recorded at Bridgewater State College. Um, but they did sneak back onto the Harvard campus for whatever they could shoot discreetly. Were they kicked off because of the portrayal of the riot? I think so. Okay. Um, which I guess you was... looked up and was a real thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There was actually a riot at Harvard Square. Yeah. Yeah. And there would have only been 11 years prior, so maybe they were still a little... <laughs> Gun shy about it. Yeah. We start in, quote, present day... <laughs> Uh, as uh, Nick Baxter sees Jessica Bloom getting into a cab and chases her down on his bike, um, eventually crashing into it to get her attention. Setting the complete wrong tone for this movie. Well, also, the, we, we decided that the present day thing was a really awkward way to like, yeah. note the year that this is taking place because... Um, you assume no one's going to watch it a day after 1980. Yeah, I guess it's not... like They weren't expecting this to last. I don't know, because then shortly later they're like, now it's... 1967 yeah. you know and and so like then they have the, the they have the the date come up and you're and you're like well either you use present day and then 13 years earlier or you say 1980 and then 1967 right like but but mixing the two feels really weird yep because now i have to do math <laughs> uh so now we're back in 1967 on the harvard campus as nick's mother is dropping him off he's a pre-med student getting ready to register for his classes um, and inside the registration building leonardo da vinci enters pretending to be blind <laughs> excuse me blind excuse me excuse me excuse me blind the first of so many reasons in this film to hate this guy yeah yeah, he's quirky and fun. He's using a sure. disability to get ahead of everybody else in line. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Love I, that I, guy. I honestly wonder, though, if it's if it's just of the time period that at the time people watching this would have been like, oh, that's kind of funny. Like, that's silly that he's doing that. Or if it was people just going Equally like... Equally as offensive now. No, no, no. Screw this guy. This guy's a jerk. See, if this was like Animal House and they were pulling some kind of stunt, 
Yeah. It's like, okay, maybe I'll let it I'll let it slide. But that's, again, the wrong tone for this movie. Oh, yeah. This isn't goofy like yeah. those kinds of movies. But, yeah. So he, he pulls that off to get to the front. And then he says, I shouldn't have to take P.E., right? Basically. Because he's blind. And she's like, mm-hmm. well, no, you shouldn't have to. I don't see him. And then he said, I'd also like to sign up for creative photography. <laughs> <gasps> and she's like, well, you can't do that. Your eyes don't work. <laughs> like, she's so taken aback at the suggestion. It's like, I would have just been like, whatever. It's not my job to keep blind people out of creative photography. And when she's like, well, but, but you're, but how can you? And then he's like, I know I'm blind, but you can't tell a blind person not to do this. And it starts like lecturing on behalf of the disabled on his way out of the yeah. building as he's like folding up the cane that he was using to guide himself and takes off his glasses shouting about all these famous artists with disabilities Mm. and the whole room breaks into applause like it's a (laughs) dumb fake story someone made up well he also ends it with like you know and so and so did this and so and so did that and why can't leonardo da vinci and i was so confused at this point because i didn't realize that that was his name i'm like yeah, Leonardo da Vinci did some good things. Like, <laughs> I'm confused. Why wouldn't Leonardo da Vinci be allowed in a photography classroom? <laughs> it didn't exist yet. They uh, they move into the dorms where we're introduced to a nerdy Texan roommate of Leonardo da Vinci's who's showing off the knots that he tied as an Eagle Scout, which mm-hmm. he has framed on the wall in yeah. their room. This character goes nowhere, so it's... Yeah, I don't just, know why we're bothered being introduced to Just him. go ahead and forget him. He's not going to come back. Uh, at night, Leo is almost caught with a girl that he had snuck into the dorms. Well, uh, well I, uh, I wanted to say something about that scene because there's a lot of dialogue that just had me cracking up for some reason. In in which scene? The the scene where he's meeting Haddix. Oh, okay. Um, he's, he's talking about his roommate. He's like, oh, his name's Leonardo da Vinci. Can you believe that? He says he's going to write for the New York Times. Yeah, that's a, yeah. That's the last line. He's like, he says he's going to write for the New York Times someday. And then Nick goes. Jesus. <laughs> like, like he's like, horrified. Oh that's by... so shocking. <laughs> he's horrified by the prospect of this guy writing for the New York Times. It's like, what a mediocre goal for someone who is at Harvard right now. Like, okay, yeah, you write for the New York Times. There's a lot of Harvard graduates that yeah. write for the New York Times. It was, it was just a really great line read, and I don't know what it was supposed to mean. Yeah. I think that might be, like, this seems like a, several times in this film where they're implying that being liberal back then would be shocking Mm. and i think that might be one of those kind of moments but nick of all people seems like the one that's the least bothered by it he's like telling people no no no, go ahead and date them or whatever but yeah so leo brings a girl to the dorms and he's trying to kick her out in the middle of the night when they knock something over and call the attention of a guard Mm. uh in the dorm house so he runs across the hall to the the co-ed bathrooms and shoves her into a shower stall where nick is taking a shower at three o'clock in the morning Mm -hmm. and then he goes to pee at a urinal and when the guy whose attention they caught walks into the room he's just like oh sometimes you just really gotta go pee get out of here leave me alone and then he's like wait a minute who's in the shower then and then nick's like i'm trying to take a 3 a.m shower in peace (laughs) he's like oh geez sorry guys Uh, i guess i'll just go back downstairs don't mind me it's like, like, it just seemed like a totally pointless scene. And uh, when Leo goes to retrieve his girlfriend from the shower, she's like scrubbing Nick's back yeah. and doesn't want to get out of the shower. She's like, no, 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 this is great. Mm-hmm. And it's basically setting up what's going to happen over the course of his life, which is that that Leo's going to screw things up with a girl and then shove her on Nick. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they're going <laughs> to like Nick better. So we get, uh, we get this pointless scene of nick and leo showing off how gymnastic they are mm-hmm. in the they're just like Again, swinging around on rings no payoff later there's yeah. there's a tiny inkling of a payoff but it's it's really there's not there's not a good reason for there's this no scene. good reason for them both to be gymnastics that's true capable that mm-hmm. there's only there's only reason to show that leo is physically capable of doing things i have a sneaky feeling that they just are like these guys are actual like gymnasts. Yeah. Let's let's use that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so they they both get to show off their gym skills, and it's clearly them doing the stuff too, which mm-hmm. is why I'm I'm sure it is just an instance of the actors like, can we get a shot of me swinging around on these rings? I'm really good at it. <laughs> we need to build up some character because uh... this is character, right? <laughs> um, Nick gets a job at a bookshop with a psychic. Um, <laughs> uh, later, Nick talks to haddocks about his socialist girlfriend he, uh, her jewish socialist girlfriend yes. he, he's like he's like 
I don't know if they could handle me dating her and she's Jewish. It's like, oh boy, you're just really letting your parents down, I yeah. guess. Like, <laughs> your poor Texan family has to deal with your Jewish socialist girlfriend. Oh, they'll have to deal with more later. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Nick is just like, well, if you love her, then just go for it. It doesn't matter. And this is the first time anyone's telling Haddock's that in his whole life. So I guess mm-hmm. he's just like, all right, well, whatever. Nobody else is, nobody's looking. I'll do what I want. This is all Nick's fault. We, we, I, I need to preface this. <laughs> Nick is the cause of all of these problems. We've accused a lot of real-life actors of murder. Here we're accusing a character of murders <laughs> later in the film. Uh, Leo and Nick go to a bar where they share their crappy dad stories. Mm-hmm. There's another gentleman in the bar that's watching TV and sings the the national anthem for almost no reason. Maybe no reason. Well, just... no, he's, he's depressed that his son has been called off to war. Yeah. Um, so his, he, he's trying... That's why he's there drinking. That's why he's there drinking. He's depressed and he's trying to show that he's proud of him, but also horribly upset that he's probably going to go and die. Right. But it's, uh, I don't know. It just feels like there's a lot of stuff that's just kind of thrown in for extra atmosphere that doesn't really feed into the story well enough. What story? Sure. <laughs> no, this is your favorite kind. This is a slice of life. Yeah. It's your favorite. Uh, I hate that kind of movie. While they're talking about their dads, Nick basically says that his dad, like, he broke his arm once and he cried. And his dad was like, don't cry. And he's like, so I never cried again. And it's like, that's how easy it was? Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm going to tell my kid not to cry. Leo meets and flirts with Jess while stealing books from a library. Um, he's unzipping his pants at, and she's leaning over to grab a book on the opposite side of the shelf at crotch level. So at first you think this is a completely different scene than it is, but he's just tucking a report into his pants and then he notices that she noticed him and he's like, Oh God, this girl's going to tell on me. I hope she doesn't tell on me. But instead of just putting the report back and stealing it 20 minutes later, he goes out right alongside her in the library and notices that she didn't rat him out Mm -hmm. because she doesn't care. She doesn't care because about these books. Because you just stole a book from a library. Right. But he does say that the library wouldn't let him check it out because it's a government report. Okay. But it's like, you can also just read it here in the library. That's what the library is for, is for reading the books in it. The Crimson shoots down the story that Leo is trying to pitch, and he gets really mad about it. So he goes and he gets Nick, and they break into the Crimson offices after hours um, with the most pointless use of this tool like he's they're trying to show that he's like oh he knows how to do he's streetwise and he knows Mm -hmm. how to break into stuff but he uses this tool completely wrong and he breaks the window in a way that it would have just made more sense to throw a rock through it yeah like because he's like had this crazy suction cup thing and you think like oh he's gonna cut and then pull the piece out he's trying to score the glass and then he he tells nick to to turn away and he just yanks on it and tears it and he tears it out like diagonally out of the glass and there's just shards hanging out which he has to punch into the room i mean it's not like he saved them any work because he cut half of the pain out so it's like you're gonna have to replace the whole thing anyways you might as well just punch it out yeah (laughs) and uh so they go in and they take this story that leo wrote that that the school paper wasn't going to publish and they just put it in every copy of the paper Mm -hmm. and then they go home and they go to sleep and the next morning they wake up and they're like oh my god that thing that we did still happened (laughs) like they're acting like so surprised that it worked when all they their master plan was putting two pieces of paper into another folded piece of paper yeah um i also love the scene when they run into the cafeteria and everyone's reading it the the sweep the sweeping score comes in and i feel like i feel feel like i'm at hogwarts and harry (laughs) harry just got a broom (laughs) it does it does feel like uh like the music is very heavily saturated here and completely unnecessary and they're like hugging each other like it's the happiest day of their lives Mm -hmm. when in reality what would happen is because these two pages that they slipped into the paper are goldenrod for no reason compared to the rest of it yeah they would have just been pulled out and un- unceremoniously thrown away <laughs> immediately <Here. laughs> it's, it's like oh someone put a bunch of stuff in these is this is this supposed to go out no toss it um but for some reason everyone's not only are they reading the school paper but they're reading these little flyers that someone tucked into the school paper and we should mention that the, the article is about the man at the bar jimmy right uh who was upset about his son going to yeah. war uh, which, although it does affect these kids, I would be surprised if the entire school was reading that article in the cafeteria at the same time, the way they portray it here. Mm. 
Leo has an eye patch for some reason. <laughs> he got into he got into a fight, a bar fight. Yeah, but we don't see the bar fight, and we don't it's get any indication that, that he gets drunk and gets in bar fights. Like that doesn't happen in this movie. Uh, there's a protest outside of the dean's office uh, with the pouring rain coming down. Yeah, and Haddix is is leading it, and he he has an interesting line about that it's it's too rainy for other liberals. Yeah. Like, like they're not committed to... We're the extremists. Yeah, we're yeah. they're not committed to the cause like we are. More foreshadowing. Right. <laughs> uh, Leo uh, tells... Does he tell two different explanations for the eye patch? Because he says one one thing to one kid. Oh, you know how it is. You go to Washington, you cover marches, you get hurt. And then when yeah, it, Jesse asks about it, he says that, that he got in a fight in this... Yeah, too it, gruesome it, to talk about. Yeah, it's like it's like it, you want to know how I got these scars. Kinda, yeah, kind of yeah. conversation. He goes to a meeting in the dean's office where he's explaining some changes that are being made to the school policies um, that are affecting a a donut region around the major cities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, Leo basically jumps in and says, "Don't you mean a bagel around these cities? Because you're clearly trying to get all the Jewish students out of your school." So that you don't have to deal with all these Jewish parents who are anti-war because they're basically, like, in this movie, Jewish equals socialist equals anti-war. Mm-hmm. Like, they're they're conflating, like, all, all three of these things are just, by definition, entangled. And is Harvard pro-war? Well, they're, they're pro-military, at the very okay. least, because they, you know, the rich families are pro-military because that's what protects their... They're giant piles of gold. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we'd just put those in vaults. And, swim and then go swim in them. <laughs> but see, Scrooge looks, looks after his own money. That's right. That's why he's got all those booby traps. <laughs> Harry is the guy who runs the bookstore. Yeah. The, the, I, I kind of liked the scene just because it was like, I don't know what this is leading up to. It's not. It's, the, it's not. just to show off that <laughs> Harry is a psychic. What are any of these scenes leading to? This movie isn't about anything. <laughs> I mean, it is supposed to be a slice of life thing, but there's all these scenes that act like they're playing into like some major thing that's going to happen later. But no one has to do gymnastics later in the movie, right? And no one has to do drugs later in the movie, yeah. right? Like and it he never gets a pays job off. at this bookstore, yeah, and that and then never serves a purpose. Nothing happens with yeah. that again. But so Harry, this bookstore owner, like Nick, is receiving some packages and he finds a bunch of like bongs and mm-hmm. like a bunch of pipes, and he's like, "What is going on here?" And he's like. Oh, I'm going to start a head shop. It's going to be the new big thing. And then after that, it's computers. But we don't have time to get into that right now. And it's like 1967. Like, yeah. this guy wasn't really... I don't I don't think he was on top of computers are going to be the next big thing. Is, is this supposed to be hilarious? Like, we in 1980 think it's really funny. So like, ah, ha, ha, drugs were the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, when Kate Winslet is lugging around a Picasso on the Titanic. Oh, God, not those finger paintings again. They certainly were a waste of money. The difference between Cal's taste in art and mine is that I have some. They're fascinating. Like being inside a dream or something. There's truth, but no logic. What's the artist's name? Something Picasso. <laughs> something Picasso. He won't amount to a thing. Get it? He won't. 2020. Hindsight. Yeah. Can you believe it that he knew that drugs were going to be big? This fictional character we wrote? Because um, drugs have never been big right, in especially America. especially not in the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> definitely not. Uh, Leo and Jess come out of a screening of The Graduate. Um, and they both have different interpretations yes. of the of the ending. The same interpretations that I think anybody has. So really not adding much to that either. They Yeah, they, they basically, it's supposed to be like a revelation of the differences between those two characters. Mm-hmm. Where she's a little bit more cynical and less like pie in the sky, high hopes. And he's like the romantic who is overly optimistic but he gets really angry yeah so it's kind of um there's a bit of a conflict there within him on a news broadcast um in in a on a crowded tv in the dorm building they're watching johnson say that he's not going to run for president again and they all celebrate it we get another glimpse of uh haddix's uh activism when he uses one of his eagle scout knots to tie a noose for hanging uh, Johnson in effigy in the main yeah. hall of the building. Leo explains that his dad named him Da Vinci when he was a, like when his dad first saw him when he was a baby. He was like, "This kid's gonna do great things. I'm gonna name him Leonardo Da Vinci." 
and and he has a last name too but he dropped it Mm -hmm. in high school because he was like what is the quote better to be an ass than a half ass Mm -hmm. which i don't know what that means and i'm not sure that that's necessarily true either but um he's definitely an ass and it seems like a weird way to celebrate your father than to be like oh mom left and you're all i have so you know what I'd like to not use your name anymore, Dad. <laughs> I'm just going to oh, go by Leonardo Oh, was it the mom Vinci. that left? I thought it was... Yeah, the mom, the mom his, left. His mom, mom left, left when he was a kid. So okay. he had his dad, and his dad was supportive. Um, but his mom disappeared. She went with some other guy, and they never came back. Um, speaking of his father, they go on a quick date to just some random building downtown, it seems like. Is yeah. Well, bank and, or something? I don't... Yeah, but we don't... we And we don't realize at this point that the guy who's letting him in is his father right i i had a suspicion that it was when we first come to this building Mm. but uh him and jess walk into this building after hours and he walks up and talks to the guy running the security desk and they seem friendly and then he's like all right come with me and they go upstairs and they have like a romantic dinner on the roof of this building but he doesn't introduce her to this guy that he just spoke with, but unless he's just like an older friend of his, I was like, oh, okay, that's going to be his dad that just like yeah. lets him do whatever he wants. But he also seems like he's very chummy with everybody, including right, right, random people. So I could just as easily see him this being a stranger, right? But we'll come to find out that your suspicion suspicion was correct, right? But I'm I'm curious how she made that leap mm. because. I mean, unless they, they had a conversation later that we weren't privy to or something. Well, it cuts to a year later, so I'm sure they must have had some kind of conversation about Maybe, it. yeah. In uh, one of her art classes, Jesse is getting lectured by a teacher who says that the the typical like revolution fist in the air uh, illustration is not, not dirty enough, not angry enough mm-hmm. to be an effective it's too symbol. Middle, it's too middle class. Yeah. Um, and he's showing all these like broken hands from guernica and it's like yeah but this is just picasso that's just how he draws hands this is that's how he drew wealthy hands i'm not very good with hands (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and uh and she's taking this very much to heart that she's saying oh well you know what revolution can start with good iconography i'm gonna go back and fix this and we're gonna we're gonna change the whole revolution by just that the lesson she got i mean i I, I realized that she came away from it thinking I should do art for the revolution, but yeah. like his whole his whole speech about like oh the length of the fingers and the evenness of it like it was so so snobby obnoxious yeah. that it was just trying to find an excuse to 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 call this thing bad that yeah. it, you know I figured that that was all it took to get her to be like yeah that's a bunch of bullshit I'm gonna go yeah she should have just been like okay boomer and walked out of the room. <laughs> yeah. That seems to be the lesson she's taking from this lecture. Uh, the guys bring her a mattress that they found somewhere. Like she <laughs> needed sweet. a mattress. She's been <laughs> sleeping on her hardwood floors. And they were like, hey, we found this mattress. And we got most of the blood off. They don't, they don't say that, but they did. It there's hardly any blood left. They, uh, they bring it into her apartment and lay it down. And then Leo's like, hey, can you go in the other room so we can have sex right here on the floor? Mm-hmm. And, and he's like... Oh, like sure. I guess that's kind of weird. That I guess I just I mean, do that. I really, right did and... just want to watch. Wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> but it's also like we found this mattress on the ground. First of all, second yeah. of all, like you couldn't wait five seconds for me to leave naturally before you were like, oh, let's yeah. let christen this thing. Well, and then and she's very resistant, but he's like, but you helped me make the bed, right? Right. <laughs> like yeah. what? What else could that have meant? You put a sheet on this thing. It's we must impl- do it now. It's the implication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We made our bed, now let's sleep in it. But uh, she's not interested at the moment, and he keeps being very forceful about it until she's like, all right, well, I'm out. See ya. And uh, he comes outside, and he's like, I don't understand her. What's wrong with that girl? And Nick's like, you weren't listening to her at all. She was trying to talk to you about an art project, and you were just saying you wanted to have sex with her. And he's like, I listened? (laughs) It's like, okay, what did she say then? Why did you seem to not know what she said if you were listening so well? Then he gets mad at Nick for siding with her in this disagreement. <laughs> Later in the in the dorms, Haddix is like a full-on conspiracy nut. Yeah. He's complaining about everything that happened over the summer and the whole world's going crazy around him. He's got like the Coke bottle glasses and the like the green fatigue jacket. Yeah. And, and Lieutenant Dan hair like down to his shoulder. And then we have uh, Greenblatt 
is that the name of the yeah, the other that, guy? That's yeah. the that's the he he, he looked he, like a like a frat bro. Before, yeah, when they first moved in, and now and now he's like some Hare Krishna guy. Yeah, Haddock's other complaint is <laughs> movie's so wacky. Yeah, he's like he's a Buddhist now with yeah basically a Hare Krishna outfit, and he's sitting and playing like this eight foot long sitar on a rug in the middle of the room, and he's driving Haddock's crazy, and uh, everyone walks in wearing like equally obnoxiously bad fake facial hair mm-hmm. and laughs at this guy playing the sitar in the middle of the room i hate all the mustaches and beards moving forward for the whole rest of the movie <laughs> they're so bad they're such bad fake beards and but mustaches. time has passed how else can we indicate time just grow has a real passed. beard it happens over time <laughs> just grow the beard and then shoot it in the order where you need the beard to where you don't need the beard and yeah. shave it down it was so strange when karen ellen had that beard yeah <laughs> What was his name? Leo? <laughs> um. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they have that big fight, but then we immediately cut to she's working in the warehouse. Right. And Leo shows up like they're all still happy. Like it's nothing. Yeah, there's yeah. no apology. We don't see any of the calming down. We just yeah. see... This happens several times in the movie where we just jump cut to I guess time has passed and we're cool with each other again you know and it seems weird to me because i feel like most of the times the crap that he does it's just like yeah you know what she's dumped you and moved on like there's no we're not making up and this isn't getting better like you keep doing crappy things and she's just gonna dump you but no every time she's just cool with it yeah and and here uh she's talking to nick about her plans for this massive art project and she's going to be working in this new studio and uh, Leo walks in and says, hey, guys, are you ready for our trip to Cape Cod? We're all going to Cape Cod. So who are you bringing, Nick? Because you're not bringing my girlfriend because that's my girlfriend. So mm-hmm. you got to find a girlfriend. He's like, oh, you mean who did I ask about if she wanted to come to Cape Cod with us? Because I didn't know about that until just this second when you told me that we were going. And he said, well, you should bring so-and-so. And he's like, I don't like her. And he's like, well, then bring so-and-so. And we just cut to him sitting in the back seat with uh, Shelley Long. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're driving up to Cape Cod. Leo and Jess are uh, making out with each other in the bathroom of their room at this hotel or wherever they're staying in Cape Cod or bed and breakfast. I don't know. And uh, she uh, she realizes she doesn't have her diaphragm. She gets up and starts looking through her luggage, and he's Leo is furious. He's just shouting at her and he's telling her that she should take the pill. Well, well, we should mention that he's furiously masturbating. Well, I don't remember seeing him do well, that. We but don't see it, but then there was the. He's the yelling end at her result. the whole time, and he comes out with a towel and just wiping his hands and, off. He's yeah, like, he's "Never like, mind, never all mind. done." <laughs> it's like, wow, nothing gets you off faster than shouting at a woman. <laughs> but yeah, it seems like he just loses it instantly somehow. It's just like, how did you do that? You were you were literally yelling at me the whole time that you were jerking it. <laughs> no, it was it was perfect. That's why I hid your diaphragm from you. Yeah. <laughs> I, whole... I have a lost diaphragm fetish. Um, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, she's never going to find it. Uh. Oh, God. Oh, God. I can't stop. You have to find it quick. I'm going to die of dehydration. Um. <laughs> oh, God. We're, we're cutting this stuff. Right? <laughs> no, this, is, this, is the, this is the trailer for this episode. <laughs> um. Nick and Jess hang art. I don't remember that happening, but I wrote it down here, so it must. Oh yeah, have. so so um, it comes the night of oh, the, the, big, the art that she the made. The art, yeah. yeah. Um, she can't find Leo, so she has to do it with Nick, right? And they and, and Shelley Long, Long for some reason. Yeah. It's, I don't think she has a single line of dialogue in the entire movie. She does barely. I yeah. think she has she has a couple lines later in the movie, but up until this point, she hasn't said anything. Yeah. She didn't say anything in Cape Cod, yeah. and she didn't say anything when they're setting stuff up except like maybe oh man oh, yeah. or something like that oh, oh you're right i think she tells she tells um jesse that her like he's a crappy guy right yeah yeah, yeah. it was the, like her only line <laughs> yeah like like she's really proud of her moment with this well here's something coming to ruin your day and it's leo yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. um but yeah so they hang up this uh this very like her guernica inspired art piece which is just you know a family holding up a kid wearing a mickey mouse shirt standing on a bunch of corpses like the most easily thought of like simplest possible protest art that anyone could ever have come up with is 
you know, a white American family wearing Mickey Mouse shirts standing on bodies. Like, that's just like the first thing you would think of if you were trying to come up with a cliche art protest. Um, and it's immediately getting cut down. But uh, everyone in the crowd is chanting, leave it up. Like there was any chance of that happening. Yeah, on this, <laughs> what would appear to be maybe a church. I, I thought uh, it was, I think it was a library. A, I think it's a school building. Okay. Of some sort. It was very, very cathedral esque. Yeah. Um, well, it's supposed to be Harvard. Uh, yes, Harvard. <laughs> it is a church of information. <laughs> Cathedral of the mind. <laughs> That's good. That's better. Um, later at a, a show that it seems like Jess wrote this show that she's putting on for like performance art. And Shelley Long is playing the Leo character and they're reenacting the uh, diaphragm incident. And Leo is just shooting his load all over the audience. No. <laughs> You can't hold it at all. My God, even when they're pretending, I can't do it. I, I have to say, I really love Shelley Long's performance as Leo. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> I was like, she's doing great. She's she's awesome. I, I, I really like, like the her. little spot of chest hair that they like glued on her yeah. on her chest. <laughs> um, but she's being Leo, and she's just saying, "You should just take the pill." And she's like, "Well, you know, the pill's really bad, and it can cause cancer." And and uh, they just cut to the next scene where they're the the. Tri- the love triangle are walking across the bridge and uh leo is just chewing her out and telling her that all of her friends are like dumb lesbians and he can't stand any of them and but, which confused me i was like oh, I was like, oh so shelly long is gay but i thought that she was nick's date yeah but i think it's i just think he him was just trying to insult being angry and he's like oh, oh, okay. oh you have artsy friends they must all be gay then because they made fun of me if they're not interested in me sexually they must be gay bunch of idiots <laughs> Um, that sounds about right for this character. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and again, Nick stands to her defense and is just like, "Okay, you can calm down now. There's no reason for you to be freaking out on her. It was just a show and chill out." And then he gets in the way. He's like, "Well, you've been trying to sleep with her ever since the day you met. You probably just wish I was dead or something like that." And then Nick punches him in the face yeah. and just is just like, "Done. Walking away. I don't. I don't need to deal with this. I don't need to deal with either one of you if this is how it's going to go every time." We cut back to the present for like two sentences yeah. and no reason at all for Jesse to like ruin the entire like fantasy or like fiction of the story to be like, oh, yeah, oh, a lot of stuff's happened in my life. I've been married and been divorced. Now I'm working as an attorney. And then we cut back to 1960s. Yeah. So it's like, what? why did that happen? You just spoiled that she doesn't marry either one of these guys and... Mm-hmm. it's just like i didn't get the point of it yeah i i wrote wait when are we now oh yeah. okay now i guess we're going back to 1969 yeah like i was like what 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 is happening with time yeah i thought for a second that the whole rest of the movie was going to be in 1980 i feel like this entire 1980 stuff was shot after the fact maybe like they didn't have oh you mean the movie has no point and they were trying to make it like relevant or something i completely mean that <laughs> <laughs> Well, when we go back to the 60s, uh, for one second, we get an, an example of Nick's activism where he's standing and reading the names of people who were killed in the war. Right? That's Nick. Doing is, that. he, is he one of them? I don't I know. Couldn't tell. I don't know if it was Nick. I thought because, it was him standing on a pedestal reading the because names. Because he's too busy with his like, medical stuff. stuff yeah. Because yeah. when they cut back, I thought it was him. I I, th- I thought it was him too, but I, I think ultimately I don't think it was. The problem with the 60s is that everybody looked the exact same. They all have shoulder-length hair and big fake mustaches glued on their heads. <laughs> so funny you should mention their hair. So that 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 article that I sent you from Oh yeah. From it was so this was from uh, an MIT newspaper from May of uh, 1979 called The Tech. Uh, somebody wrote somebody wrote an article about having been. This was written by Sean Wilson, and he I guess he was an extra in uh, in in this movie because he talks about uh, you know doing this background work for a small circle of friends, and he notes that uh, they actually like bust all these MIT students over and gave them all preppy haircuts <laughs> <laughs> in order to do this film. Uh, and, and, and he also notes a couple other interesting things in the article. He says that, um, you know, they shot on a couple different college campuses, MIT, 
uh, Wellesley, Emerson, and some others uh, because the, they were asked to leave Harvard because yeah. the, of the disruption they were causing. Oh, in, okay. quote, in quotes, disruption in quotes. So it's more than just that riot scene that was the problem then. Well, or Harvard was calling that riot scene a disruption. <laughs> but they they were never going to shoot that on the on the Harvard campus, I don't think. I don't know. But they, they must have been enough of a problem. Anyways, we should get to the riot scene. Sure. Um, <laughs> a riot breaks out on campus. And uh, <laughs> this is Shelley Long's other bit of dialogue. She's a photographer yeah. in, the, in the midst of all this chaos. And uh, Leo is coaching her through, okay, get all the pictures you can. Okay, get pictures of that, get pictures of this. And she's taking all these pictures. He's like, okay, do you have enough pictures? Okay, you have enough? Okay, now run. Get out of here. Well, yeah, because like, she, she, she's starting to get a little uneasy. Right. And I, and I think that he's just trying to say, do, do you have what you need? Because if you don't, you need to stay. <laughs> but if you yeah. do, then there's no reason it. for you to be here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, Leo sees uh, Haddock's has been like beaten and bloodied by the people trying to stomp down this protest. And this is based on a real life event that did happen at right. Harvard Square. There was a riot. Yeah. Um and Leo uh grabs Haddocks and takes him to not a hospital doctor, which would but, make sense also, but, but Nick, he he's takes almost him to as good. Yeah, a rat doctor. A rat doctor who <laughs> deals primarily with rats. <laughs> What is what is he doing with the rats? Does does he go into his experiments? No, he just says that he's working with them, and then he's got one named Leo. Yeah, because he never stops. He, he won't stop running. Yeah, so he brings. <laughs> I think that he, was supposed to be really deep. It probably was supposed to be. <laughs> Poor guys. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Haddix is brought to Nick, who fixes him up, and then he's like, "All right, time to go get beat up again." And he's like, mm-hmm. "How about you don't do that?" And you take some time to not succumb to a concussion. And he says, nah, nah, I should I should be out there protesting. And he leaves. Um, so this might be the beginning of his official, like, hardcore mental illness. Is mm-hmm. He got kicked in the head too many times here. But uh, Leo, the next day, they're, they're reading out the draft numbers. They have a, a lottery system. Right. Um, and the balls have birthdays on them as they're pulling them out. And if your birthday comes up, they're going to pull out, what, 300? They're, they're, they're going to pull or, them all. Did they hold a year? Yeah, they do the whole year. And, and they said the first like 125 are basically guaranteed to go. Correct. And he's third. Yeah. <laughs> he's the third name draw. Um, yeah, his birthday is December 30th. And uh, so we find out. I feel like it would have been more interesting if we'd seen earlier that his birthday was December 30th. But have it be like, oh, you know, it's the last day of the year. And it's like, oh, it was your birthday yesterday. Like, some, So that we as the audience knew that it well, was Well, that would involve shooting scenes in this movie that actually set up to have a payoff later. That's true. Which we don't do. We yeah. set up scenes that have zero payoff. Yeah. So he loses it because he got he's basically the third birthday that's going to get shipped out. And he's terrified of dying in Vietnam because he has all these grandiose plans for how he's going to live his life here in america but he also refuses to pretend that he's not physically fit enough to serve yeah. he refuses to go to canada Ew, he's like canada he like just <laughs> he's terrified of going to vietnam but he's even more terrified of draft dodging which doesn't seem like leo at all yeah it right. seems like he if seems... He, this character would just be a revolutionary from canada for the rest of the movie right right he like that's what it seems like he's he's a revolutionary in every other sense around campus except you're not gonna you know draft dodge yeah okay yeah we have presidents cool enough to draft dodge and you're gonna stick around here mm. right mm-hmm. it's a weird way to put it i guess that is a weird way to put can it can i give him some bone spurs is there someone we can inject bone spurs into leo <laughs> um but yeah, it does, for some reason later he draft dodges anyway. But yeah. here he's acting like, well, obviously I can't do that. I guess I have to go unless they find a reason I shouldn't be there. But can you forge some documents and get me out of it? Because I'm too chicken to go to Canada. It's so far away. We're he, didn't, he, doesn't a, he doesn't ask for it, though. No, but he accepts it when they give it to him. Well, And, and, and he is relying on Nick. Nick keeps saying, we're going to figure it out. Yeah. We're going to figure something and he's out. he's like, yep. Yes, you will, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> Solve all of my problems, Nick, uh, and cause more problems for Haddix. <laughs> Haddix finds out that he that Leo is, you know, freaking out and not leaving his apartment and just drawing up all the statistics for how many people are dying every year in Vietnam, and he invites him to the underground. Uh, he wants to get get him off the grid into Haddix land, and uh, 
Leo basically turns him down. It doesn't, doesn't really respond, but basically turns him down. Nick says, hey, we should take Jess out. It's her birthday. And uh, Leo says, I'm pretty messed up right now. I don't think I can do it. Why don't you take her out? You guys have a good time. And so he does. And of course they have sex because Leo's not around for five seconds, finally. And uh, <laughs> everything uh, everything goes according to both of their plans, probably. Nick decides that he's going to go back home and fake all these medical records to get Leo out of the draft. Yeah. And there's like a whole thing where he comes home and he's like, mother? And I was like, ooh, is the mother dead? Did something bad happen to the mother? Yeah, she's been like, dead for two years and he never called? Well, yeah, because like he's never checked up on her. But I guess, no, she's just not home. Yeah. Uh, but she might have objected to him uh, forging medical documents in his father's name. Yeah. Ruining their legacy. But it seems like that's the point is that it's like, well, I can still be a doctor as long as my dad's the one who did this illegal thing. So I'm mm-hmm. going to do it on all of his letterheads and make it look like he had a, that that Leo had a childhood history of Well, of I mean asthma. that I mean that's what it was. It's like it had to have happened since he was 12 years old. Right. So obviously it has to be a doctor that could have treated him when but he was also, 12 years old. But also if it were found out, he wouldn't be incriminating anyone alive because they would just be like, "Oh, this is fake." And it's like, "Oh, well, go arrest my dad. I'll just tell you where his plot is." But, uh, but, I, I think Nick could be accused of this crime. Right. They would have Nick, to prove that, though. Um, but his name probably isn't on this paper. His first name, anyway. This is where the music starts to blatantly be just uh, total eclipse of the heart for the whole rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just different sections of the song. They rush to the base where they're doing the physicals on all of the uh, people getting drafted, uh, including Daniel Stern, yeah. whose uh, strategy is to just pretend he's crazy because that mm-hmm. used to get people out of service. But apparently that's not the case anymore. Um, but they're they're unable to get these forged documents into Leo's hands before they get him into the building. And so Jesse decides she's going to call in a bomb threat from a payphone on the base. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like would get tracked pretty quickly. I don't know. Well, I mean, yeah, I guess they could trace calls. But probably not as efficiently as they could today. I, I just thought because it was a landline and because it was from the actual base that it would show up somewhere that... that's. That person's eh, calling from here. It Maybe was 1980. Not. Well, it was 1980. Or 60. Wait. 60. Okay. Right. True. <laughs> so maybe <Touché>. not. <laughs> Either way, she calls in a bomb threat, which I also feel like, in addition to potentially being traceable, would be a thing that would happen a lot for people that are trying to get their loved ones out of the service. Yeah. Um, but they take it seriously enough that they tell everyone to get out of the building, even though they're all in their underwear. Um, and... Uh, as Leo's coming out, Nick runs up and hands him all the paperwork. And he says, hey, this is going to get you out of service. So use it. Also, and also <laughs> uh, Jess is my girlfriend now, and she's going to stay my girlfriend. So if you want to hang out with us, that's cool. But um, I'm trading you your life for your girlfriend, basically. Mm. Oh, it was a tradesies. I get it. Tradesies. And, and I like like... I thought for a moment he was considering just going to Vietnam. That's what I thought that was going <laughs> to be. He was like, fuck, I'm just going to go. <laughs> yeah, I thought he was going to take the thing and be like, no deal. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the next day Leo shows up at their house pretending to be blind again. Well, this is the next day. This is years later. Years later when he comes back from Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. it's, that was 1971. Two so years- did, he didn't go to Vietnam, did he? No, he, he turned around like he was going to walk back in. And then came to his senses and then just left. And that's, yeah. and then it goes, then it fades out and fades back in in 1971. Yeah. Um, so it's maybe it's taken him a couple of years to forgive them for caring about each other. I guess. Um, and uh, he knocks on the door with a can and pretends like he's blind. Because um, <laughs> so never. Funny when we it's like when we met. And, uh, and I was faking a disability just like I did to get out of service right now. Well, shouldn't he have then just. Just pushed a naked girl into or girl into the house. He Wouldn't that have. have been more when they first met? Yeah, it's a better. Actually, the first time they met was through a door where oh, he wait. was just saying, "Do you want a beer?" You're right. That's not a callback because nobody else was there. Like, did, is Nick in that first scene yeah. when he pretends yeah. to be blind? Oh, but, but okay. they don't know each other. Yeah. Right. Right. But I just think that's really funny if you're if you're referencing something that we didn't experience yeah. together. <laughs> like, get it? Didn't you hear when all the people applauded me when I did that? Yeah, I heard you said that everyone applauded you. I don't believe that for a second. <laughs> um, it's not a believable thing that would happen. Um, 
they have a weird third wheel vacation. No, where... they have an intended third wheel vacation because it moves into a threesome. Yeah, but it's. Did I zone out during the threesome? They when have a threesome. Happen? Do they? Yeah. I don't remember a threesome. <laughs> unless <laughs> unless it involves a lobster. <laughs> Did we watch an edited version of this film? So they have like the crazy like day where they're running around eating lobster and then they're going to bed for the night. And... They, well, hold on. We're, gonna, we're skipping over something important here on okay. the way to the threesome, which is this dinner scene. <laughs> where this infuriating dinner They probably scene. spent hours cooking all this food. And then they just smear it all into one, like, mount, like it's a Devil's Peak pile in her plate. Yeah. And they're like, here's your, here's your lobster, madame. Here's your potatoes, madame. Here's a whole stick of butter standing upright, madame. Here's your sour cream, madame. Here's your chives, madame. And poor Karen Allen is trying to pretend this is funny and that she finds it amusing. And her forced laughter is painful in this scene because it's just like, ugh, I'm sorry that the director made you guys act out this whole nonsense Mm -hmm. scene. Gone. For madame. Mashed potatoes for madame. And butter for madame. Sour cream for madame. But yeah, after after that, they something happens, you're saying? Yeah, so they go upstairs for the night, and she passionately kisses Nick, and then passionately kisses Leo. And then she goes into the room, into the dark. Like, the room door's open, and she just goes into the room, disappears in the darkness, and Nick gestures for leo to enter first and leo goes in and then nick goes in right behind him and the door closes dude i totally missed this entire <laughs> I did part too, and i've watched it twice now <laughs> and and, huh. and then the, like the next scene is them talking on the bed they're talking about yeah. going to europe but i think it's pretty obvious that yeah. they, well, from well, how you that, described that, it yes. yeah if that if that is what actually happened then yes i think you're right richard this movie just I don't keeps know daring how me to look we away totally missed that. <laughs> <laughs> so i missed that whole moment <laughs> Um, you win this round, movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> stop paying attention, Patrick. Stop paying attention. Something interesting is about to happen. Um, but yeah, so the three of them basically live together now. And they see a news story about some bombings that are going on. And they play a recording of the person that's making these bomb threats and actually taking action with bombs. And it's clearly, to them, Haddix's voice. Right. And Leo's like, okay... This is a problem. We got to get Haddix out of whatever he's, he's leading. <laughs> yeah, but Leo is still pretending like he's a victim here and that he got mm-hmm. sucked into something beyond his control. And it's like, no, no, no. He's the Manson here. But um, <laughs> but he decides that, okay, well, what is the only way I can contact Haddix? Well, we've established very well that Harry, the guy who runs the bookstore, is very good friends with Haddix and probably has a connection to it. Oh, wait, no, we've never no, seen no, those never two people that. in the oh, same scene. But he is a psychic. But he is psychic. He knows about drugs and computers, so he must know how to get to Haddix. So he just happens to know. And uh, they blindfold Leo and put him in the back of a like blacked-out van mm-hmm. and drive him to this farmhouse where, uh, where Haddix is like... You know, he's got a, a whole cult of people wearing purge masks. Yeah. Just going about their day. <laughs> Trying to assemble bombs with very cumbersome masks on. Yeah. It's well, like, so, did, are, like, are they wearing these masks so they know that Leo's coming? Or do they always just all wear masks? I think it's because they know Leo is coming. Okay. But they, so. do they all have masks? Yeah. Th- th- all of so, them except Haddock's. But that's what I'm saying. But I mean, like, before they knew that Leo was coming, did they all already have masks? Or did they go to a Walmart and buy, like, (laughs) seven assorted masks? I I think they probably have masks to do their Army of the Twelve Monkeys Project Mayhem style actions. But, uh, yeah, so I would say they probably had masks. Okay. Well, Haddix is walking him through the house. They go down into the basement and he sees people assembling, very sloppily assembling sticks of dynamite into, like, time bombs essentially yeah. or like unabomber style boxes that will explode when they're opened and uh the two of them sort of retreat to the kitchen table where leo you know does this last ditch effort of like he, he's like these people are crazy you need to get out of here these people are insane he's like i am these people mm-hmm. i i'm a part of this like you you can't separate me from them and he says look maybe it's time to put the hate away and just get on with your life and start to accept how the world works and Haddix basically says like well what about your article are you gonna just walk away from that and he said yes I'll walk away from the article if you come with me right now and you leave this place and you don't ever come back 
And he basically just kind of laughs it off at Leo and offers him a cookie. Yeah. And then the building explodes. <laughs> yeah, this this took me a little bit by surprise. Yeah, I was very much not expecting this moment. I did expect this building to explode eventually. I didn't think it would explode right, right here now. in this scene. Yeah, well, especially because we did, like, this little jump scare earlier when they're making the bombs where, like... The timer goes off, and then the gag is that they were making hard-boiled eggs downstairs, and so it wasn't the clock that yeah. they were making the bombs with. It was, you know, his egg timer, uh, you know, and, and and so it scared Leo. Rightfully so, because then he blows up. Yeah, <laughs> but see, yeah, the whole building explodes, and then we cut back to the house that Jess and Nick are living in, and Jess is leaving Nick because Leo died. Yeah, she's so sad that she's going to leave the only person that she could share the memory mm-hmm. of Leo with. She's but, so sad that the jerk that's been a jerk his whole life to her is dead. Yeah, I, there's there's no reason that this scene would play out like this, and it's just a dumb excuse for explaining why a perfect guy who has done nothing wrong the whole time would break up with a perfect girl who has done nothing wrong the whole right. time. They're like, what's a good, like, blameless reason for these two to separate? And they're like, there isn't one. What if Leo died? I get, why would she leave, though? What if she did? People do weird things after their friends explode. Yeah. (laughs) But also, like, this house explodes. I had a hard time piecing this together in the Mm -hmm. sense that the house explodes. They obviously find bodies or remnants of bodies. And it's very clear that this was a terrorist organization building bombs. Right. Amongst them is Leo. And they're going to have to try to convince the police or the FBI that Leo was not a part of this when he clearly has this track record of civil disobedience and causing trouble. But he also has a journalism track record. And he has character witnesses like Harry who put him in touch with Haddocks that could say he was going to write a story about him. He came to me and asked for Also, who cares? I mean, like... Yeah. Are they really trying to clear Leo's name? Well, they're going to put Leo's corpse in jail. Well, I just, I just thought it was curious that that it was never brought up. Like there was never a question about. Well, no, that would have been interesting. That's true. And we don't oh, want to do which that. Which is against this the rule. <laughs> You're forgetting rule number one of <laughs> circle of friends. You mean a you mean a small line segment of friends? Now? Right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, we've slowly brought it down another another point. Well, and she takes a bunch of Leo's things to his father. Yes. Which is mostly just clothes. It's like really nothing it's significant. Like, yeah, this is great. Thanks. I'm going to fit in my son's clothes, you so idiot. So meaningful. Okay, Here's gonna, a suitcase of old crap. I'm going to drop them off at Goodwill. How about how about his typewriter? Or that hat he was wearing. That really nice hat with the like pencil in it like he was a journalist. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're already sad and you're at work. Do you want to smell your son? <laughs> Here's a box of his garbage. <laughs> Thanks. There's a diaphragm in there somewhere. <laughs> I can't find it. And the dad's like. <laughs> in the present again, for no reason, Nick explains, I'm a psychiatrist. And she's like, oh, that's perfect. For some reason, I'm, I'm not clear why. why you haven't done anything psychiatric. Uh, your character was completely underwritten in this whole movie. Leonardo da Vinci is the only character in this movie. Mm. No one else does anything interesting. He's the only character, and he's completely unlikable the entire time. Yeah. Um, Nick chases her cab again because she's about to leave in it. And, and how mad is this cab driver? First, first he gets into a car accident with this guy. Yeah. Then he has to wait. The same driver. <laughs> he has to wait for them to have this conversation. They stood there the for an hour and forty-five minutes talking <laughs> about the sixties. <60s. laughs> now he hits my cab again. Yeah. <laughs> Like, do you guys really need to say this to each other? Didn't weren't you both there? Why are you telling this whole story to each other? <laughs> you, yeah, <laughs> this is information you already have. <laughs> and some of these scenes, like you're not both there. Okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> the cab driver's like, you weren't even there. How would you end up even known about that? How do you know what Leo was doing in the room before either of you met him? None of these were flashbacks. No, I he know. wasn't recounting this. Yes, story. I know. <laughs> but maybe that's. Oh, okay, Leo's the cab driver. Oh, <laughs> twist. Well, I was gonna say, like, no, oh, that's great. That's why that explains why he got in the bar fight. And they don't know why, because ne- he's the ghost of Christmas past. Well, because neither of them were there for that, 
And but then I remembered, oh, Leo did have. A, I was thinking, wait a minute, does this movie like actually really great? Because there are no scenes where neither of them. Like, yeah, like like they they there are no scenes with with them without Leo. So when Leo's away on his own, we don't know what he's doing unless there are other witness, witnesses there to tell us the story. Uh, but then there was the final scene where he blows up, so it takes the whole thing away. That's true. Mm, darn. I'm gonna this make a re- mi- I'm gonna this movie make a missed re-edit. once again. <laughs> I'm gonna make a re-edit of this movie where it makes it so. It's and it's just them hearing that the house exploded. Yeah. It's significantly <laughs> less interesting than an already dull movie. Um, but yeah, that's the end of the film is uh, that he gets in the cab with her. And it seems like this is a direct graduate reference that we're seeing them yeah. through the back window of the cab sitting next to each other, which is like the same as how the graduate ends with them but, sitting in the back of the bus. But they don't end with them as a caricature drawing. Yeah, they turn into an illustration here for some reason. We also start the film with them illustrated in the form of the poster that yeah the it felt like they just paid a bunch of money to make somebody like do a drawing of them They're like we gotta use this yeah. repeatedly it's like, great this looks just like them well i just traced frames from the movie uh the director here rob cohen this was his first uh feature film was it his last no oh, he no. went He's on to do dragon heart uh-huh. the skulls and the first fast and the furious film really yes and also triple x no kidding um, and he just did a Hurricane Heist last year. I don't know what that is. I saw that. It's I only know it from How Did This Get Made. <laughs> okay. So so his track so record is maintained. Yeah. <laughs> um, the writer uh, was Ezra Sachs, who also wrote Wildcats, which when I was like, oh, Wildcats, that's the one with Kurt Russell. And, and it's like, no, that's, that's Best of Times. Yeah. <laughs> but I always confuse those movies because they're husband and wife. Or they're not husband and wife, but they're, they're a couple. Uh, yeah, because Goldie Hawn. Yeah, Goldie Hawn and, and Kurt Russell. Um, but I, I, for this this whole time, I've thought that Best of Times was Wildcats, that they were the same movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, no, this is not what I remember at all. Um, Brad Davis plays Leonardo da Vinci Rizzo, but he drops the Rizzo. Um, he played Billy Hayes in Midnight Express and uh, Jackson Schultz in Chariots of Fire. He's one of many people who goes on to play himself in The Player for mm-hmm. Robert Altman. And he actually died of AIDS... At 41, 11 years after this film came out. Mm. Karen Allen was Jessica Bloom. She was Katie in Animal House before this. Um, she would later be Jenny Hayden in Starman. Or was that before this too? I, I think Starman was 84. Okay, so that's later. Um, next year she'll be Marion Ravenwood in Raiders. Yeah. Um, it's too bad they never got her back. Maybe she'll be in that fourth Indiana Jones movie <laughs> that they're working on now. It's supposed <laughs> to come out soon. But who knows? Um, Claire and Scrooge. Mm-hmm. It's a classic. Jameson Parker was Nick Baxter, which it's it honestly seems like he should have been in more movies, but there really wasn't a lot on his IMDb that yeah, I recognize. It seems he's best known for Simon and Simon. Yeah, because he was him and Gerald McCraney. Yeah. But um, yeah, he didn't do a lot of other big movies. Um, Shelley Long was Alice. She obviously went on to be Diane Chambers in Cheers. Um, Anna Crowley in The Money Pit. Mm-hmm. Um, she's basically like, the Catherine Heigl of the eighties. Yeah, uh, yeah. Troop, uh, we can't we can't not mention Troop Beverly Hills. Right. Yes. In which she is glorious. Yeah. I like this analogy. She she walked away from a lot of jobs that were very kind to her, and uh, her career suffered as a result of it. It seems like um, Gary Springer was Green Blatt. He plays Andy in Jaws two. He's Stevie in Dog Day Afternoon, and this was his last film, but he is still around. Um, I'm not sure why he stopped acting after this. Um, Daniel Stern was the crazy kid. People obviously know him as uh, as uh, the Home Alone character or the narrator of The Wonder Years, which I think is supposed to be the adult voice of the Fred Savage character, right? Yeah, yeah. And City Slickers. Uh, apparently he's the voice of Dilbert, which yeah. I didn't realize until right. I was looking it I up. That. that makes sense. Um, another movie I really like from him is Very Bad Things with Christian oh, Slater. Oh, I... I can't watch that movie anymore. It's, it's so good. It's really upsetting. But it's, Have you seen that? I haven't seen that, but you know what a big Christian Slater fan I am. Yeah. Will I be after I watch this movie? Oh, uh, it's good. Okay. I like it a lot. Uh, the cast is incredible. Yeah. Um, and uh, Cameron Diaz is in it. She's amazing. Um, Jeremy Piven is in it. He's amazing. Like right. Everybody's really, really good. That sounds good. It's probably one of my favorite things from all of those people. And Daniel Stern was also... Ben Savage's father in Little Monsters. Mm-hmm. So he worked with both of the Savage Bros, uh, <laughs> as they're called in their in their uh, porn films. 
Whoa. Oh, that's not a thing. I just made that up. Um, David Hollander played the editor of The Crimson in this movie and was the actual editor of The Crimson during the events of the film. Yeah. I thought um, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. But um, it's all my factoids. Jess, what do you think? Up or down on this one? Oh, it's a big down. Richard. Yeah. That's uh, a no. It's a pass. Yeah. An open out on this also. Letterboxed. Oh gosh! You want to start, Jess? Yeah, it's going pretty far down there. Let me um, let me look at this list here. I think it goes at the bottom. Really? Wow! Maybe. Wow! It's so hard. Wow! Okay, I actually liked. (sighs) What's on the bottom of your list now? Caligula. But like, I so I actually like, and you know how much I didn't like this movie. I actually like. Just tell me what you want more than this movie. I'm actually 100% with you. I'm putting it right under just how I think I'm putting it right under. The problem is that it's so different than Caligula that I don't, I, I dislike them each for very different reasons. Sure. And so I'm struggling with what the actual bottom is. Yeah. And I don't know if it, I don't know which, which side of Caligula to put this on. Uh, I don't know. Uh, you're making me pick. It's like a Sophie's Choice, but the other way around. Sophie's Choice with shitty movies. Which kid do I want to give away? (laughs) Richard, what are you doing? Uh, Well, I'm actually putting it up a little higher at the bottom. Um, (laughs) A little higher at the bottom. Yeah. uh, Still the bottom on my list, but higher. Well, because once once you get past, I'm calling it the windows threshold. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Everything It's called the sill. Everything after that is just like, burn it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but uh, yeah, oh so God. it's going to be just below windows. Okay. So, windows so it's is a still burn the, it. This is a burner. It's still so a cutoff. Oh my God. I, I 100% agree with you in the windows threshold of the 1980s. Yeah. That is, that is hilarious. I mean, that's, windows is just as much as I can tolerate. Honestly, I only have two in my burn it category. With the windows threshold? Uh, no, w- with the windows threshold, there I have four movies below windows, but I wouldn't I wouldn't burn anything until Fatso. So so where is yours? Just under. Just tell me what you want. All right. I think I think mine. I think maybe I'll put it between Caligula and Just Tell Me What You Want. Okay. All right. That sounds good. I think that's about everything for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Or as we've said multiple times, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. It does help people find the show. It brings us up in the ratings, makes makes our numbers better. Numbers are good, uh, unless they're bad. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through Patreon.com slash VintageVideoPodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you will join us next time when we'll be discussing Defiance, which according to IMDb is about the following. Tommy takes up temporary housing in a New York City neighborhood plagued by a violent gang called the Souls. We leave you now with a trailer for Defiance. He was a stranger. He was a loner. I'm just passing through. I mind my own business. This concerns you too. No, it doesn't. He wanted no part of their world. You think this is what I want this rat trap you live in? Just think about this. They're gonna be able to take your whole stupid life and stick it in that duffel bag of yours. He wanted no part of their problem. Used to be a nice place to live in. Right here. This neighborhood. All of a sudden, it's changed. But he became part of their world. And their problems became his. Finish, big man. He did. The more he tried to leave, the more he knew he had to stay. Hey, power! 
They all lived in fear. All but one. Hey, hey tough guy. Before your girlfriends can cross the street, I'm gonna bend this six-pack around your head. So don't mess with me, punk. Come cut me, man! Come on, clown, cut me! Until he taught them defiance. Chan Michael Vincent. Teresa Saldana. And Academy Award winner, Art Carney. Defiance. From American International. <laughs>